From KUAR News and Little Rock, this is KUAR's Week in Review podcast. A look at the week that was. Chris? The Arkansas General Assembly convenes next week to start a new session. What the governor and legislative leaders expect. Bribery at the state capitol. Two legislators are said to have taken bribes in exchange for directing economic development funds to a Christian college. And the U.S. Congress has convened the GOP hiccups into a new era. Putin prefers Trump to Clinton. Tom Cotton's not so sure. And Facebook and the state of Arkansas partner and explore virtual reality. We'll take a look at the week that was just ahead from KUAR's Week in Review podcast. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Chris Hickey. Here we go. All right, Chris, what is this, the 91st General Assembly? It's hard to keep track after all these years, but the uh, in any case, the incoming General Assembly is beginning on Monday, convening for a regular session, a whole host of issues uh, foremost among them, maybe one of the things will have to be sorted out first, at least, is this tax cut idea from the governor's office. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson had proposed a $50 million tax cut that would affect the state's lowest income earning brackets. And, um, you know, he says he remains confident that this tax cut will be supported by legislators, but he expects there to be some debate over it. There has been an issue lately with uh, general revenue funds coming in a little bit below projections so far this fiscal year. So uh, a lot of legislative leaders and others are kind of cautious that the state can, you know, really afford tax cut. But on the other hand, you've got more conservative members. I'm thinking of like Senator Bart Hester, who've called for $100 million or more worth of tax cuts. Yeah. So there, I mean, there's a, a wide range of opinions, uh, I guess, across the ideological divide or even among the you know Republican Party as far as like what the state can afford and what impacts the state will have. The governor's also proposing a uh, some tax exemptions for uh, retirees from the military. Um, at a press conference on Wednesday, uh, the governor kind of uh, reiterated his, uh, I guess, general stance as far as those two items, uh, saying he's fairly confident about them. Well, there's been a, gr- a very good uh, response to uh, the proposals that I have presented for the $50 million tax cut. Uh, and we have some revenue numbers that uh, will be released today that uh, give us a comfort level as we proceed forward with uh, that tax cut. Uh, secondly, uh, in terms of the military retirees uh, exemption uh, from our income tax rate uh, and the offsets that are aligned, uh, there's been a strong uh, level of support for that as well. So as we enter the session, I'm sure there'll be a, a good debate, but uh, I like where we are, and I think there's been a good response to both those uh, initiatives in terms of, of uh, fairness, uh, but also in terms of uh, being able to boost our economy in this state and uh, to continue the growth that we've enjoyed. And Chris, this tax cut being proposed by the governor is a little bit different than previous Republican tax cuts. It targets a different group of people. Yeah, that's right. In the last legislative session, there's a tax cut uh, mainly affecting higher income earners, those um, I forget exactly the brackets, but somewhere around the 50000 to 100000 The bottom range. 40% or so of the state were left out of that right. last session's tax. But uh, this, this new tax cut proposal would affect those uh, making below $30,000 annually. Let me, uh, with the bulk of it um, affecting those making less than $21,000 a year. For, for example, 
um, someone in the lowest income bracket uh, from zero to $4,299 will ta be taken off the state rolls completely. They won't have to pay any state ta income taxes under his proposals. Those making $4,300 to $8,399 will see a, re a reduction from 2.4 to 2%. Um, and those making $8,400 to uh, $12,599 will see it. Uh, a rate cut from 3.4 to 3 percent, and the and uh, those making 12,000 to uh, 20,999 will see a reduction from 4.4 to uh, 3.4 percent. So actually, a correction; it only goes up to 21,000 uh, dollars. Okay. Those uh, brackets, uh, not 30,000, as I said earlier. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's unclear. I mean, uh, the couple of legislative leaders, Jeremy Gillum, House Speaker, and Jim Hendren, the state Senate majority leader. And the governor's Republic. nephew. Yes. Uh, held a kind of a, a little forum uh, hosted by the AP earlier this week. Uh, Speaker Gillum, I think, said that he's not sure that there's enough support among House members that, um, you know, that these tax cuts would be taken up this session. Uh, he said... Um, it would, it could be a possibility that uh, House members would push for uh, a special session in the coming months. Take up this, I guess, um, with the implication that you know, like, get a better idea of general revenue figures and stuff. He also floated the idea of taking up the cuts in the 2019 session. So that's two years from now. So um, it's a pretty striking change in tone from 2015 when it. One of, the, one of the governor's big things going into it, one of his campaign promises when he ran for governor was, I'm going to have a $100 million tax cut. And that was like the big thing that they were really proud of. And going into to this session, not the past few months, but definitely after 2015, we're going to keep doing these tax cuts. We're going to keep passing them. But as you mentioned, the state revenue numbers, I guess, has given them some caution. It has. Uh, and you, met, you heard there in the cut from the governor, <clears throat> he said he's pretty confident with the newest revenue numbers. Basically, income taxes revenues from the in the state have been pretty steady over the last six months, but sales tax revenue has been lagging, and that's been contributing to the overall revenue decline. Um, although in December, I guess because of the Christmas holiday, mm. there's been you know an increase, and there was an increase over projections uh, as far as sales tax revenue went. And also, I think... Um, you know, after the election, a lot of economists and people have pointed to like election year jitters as a, a contributing factor in low sales tax revenues across the country, not just in Arkansas. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell just by one month's figures from my point of view whether or not that trend will continue. But I'm not an economist. so. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, real quick, I'll just run through a few other issues that might come up that aren't necessarily on the governor's agenda. Higher education funding, a shift to funding colleges based on degree completions instead of enrollment. That'd be a big shift in Arkansas's education scene. Uh, there's always the threat of allowing uh, school districts or under state control to be privatized, basically. that was That's a concern among some traditional public school advocates. There might be some uh, major Medicaid reforms shifting towards man managed care. Sarah White's code check at Arkansas Public Media promises to investigate, investigate that in the coming weeks. Foster care system, there's a whole bunch of bills filed about that, about trying to get uh, relatives easier access to getting uh, designated as guardians, a few efforts to perhaps expand uh, gun access on college campuses and elsewhere. 
a few bills to curtail abor- abortion further in uh, Arkansas. The second week, we'll have Martin Luther King and Robert E. Lee Day. That's going to be a legislative battle that might have some fireworks. The governor has said that the holiday should be changed. There might be a transgender bathroom bill, or as Bob Ballinger would call it, a privacy bill. So that could be a huge issue as well, and a whole bunch of uh, efforts to perhaps modify the newly passed medical marijuana amendment, including things like regulating products or levying additional taxes for whatever reasons. So a whole bunch of things to look out for last the last three sessions, there are over 2,000 bills filed. A little less than half of those, I think, end up passing. So too much to, to worry about, really, in this short span they're going to be open. Yeah, I mean, in past sessions, we've seen upwards of 2,000 bills being filed. So, I mean, there's going to be probably way more than, you know, you or I could talk about. And Let's talk know. about each one for 10 <laughs> seconds and we can get through them all in a couple hours. Yeah, but, I mean, and, you know, there's been a, a bunch that are, been pre-filed and we've talked about those and yeah go back to our our archive podcast if you really want the in-depth look okay let's switch switch gears a little bit though sticking with the state legislature but this is a story from the last set of legislators not the incoming class uh chris you want to set this up for me i'm talking about micah neal who has entered a plea with federal officials for taking some bribes yeah michael uh micah neal represented uh springdale um in the House of Representatives. Has a famous cafe in his family's name as well. I did not know that. Um, Basically, there's this issue regarding um, general improvement funds that is basically a a pool of money that state legislators can use to direct toward projects, public projects normally in their districts. And, you know, it's a good way you know, for photo ops uh, with the legislators in their local community to show that, you know, here we are, you know, sending money into their community. Um, And his guilty plea... uh, Uh, Okay. Yeah, so uh, when Michael O'Neill mentioned his plea agreement, uh, they were not named, but there was an entity that bribed him, an entity that facilitated the bribe, and another state senator who are all not identified. They're just identified as person A, B, and C, I guess, in this, this plea agreement. But it's, there's only so many state senators from that area <laughs> that could donate to that. Yeah. Um, Arkansas Business, one of our content partners, came out with an article today on Friday that identifies, or is they're, they're pretty confident in their identifications, that uh, they identified a Rusty Cranford, who's a licensed lobbyist to the state of Arkansas. They believe that he helped uh, facilitate bribes on behalf of a private Christian college, Ecclesia College up in Springdale. It's the only nonprofit uh, or it's only a college of that type in the area, so it has to be Ecclesia College. And the state senator would be John Woods, who uh, helped give the money to Mike O'Neill. He appears to be the ringleader in this, uh, John Woods. And it's notable that and neither of these people ran for office again this year, which is maybe they knew, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Mike O'Neill was originally going to run for Washington County judge but dropped out. But John Woods helped craft the ethics amendment passed by voters that raised legislative salaries and he helped craft some loopholes in there that allow lobbyists to take out the entire General Assembly or groups of the General Assembly to wine and dine them for free, which is going to happen every day throughout the General Assembly. There will be different lobbyist groups feeding and drinking, <laughs> giving drinks to two of the legislators, in part because of John Woods, this this guy in this case right here. Yeah, and Neil, uh, just for uh, yeah specificity, uh, specificity's sake, uh, said pleaded guilty to receiving $38,000 as uh, for, in bribes. And his 
sentencing date uh, is still uh, to be determined. And this general improvement fund, the idea of it was it was kind of like a way to get around the illegal practice of pork barrel spending where legislators would specify money just for their district. Instead, the money goes to like a regional economic development council, but in practice, the legislature or legislators from the area tell the council where to put the money is what's been, is, is the common, I think, assessment of it. Yeah. Oh, and we should note um, in Governor Asa Hutchinson's budget for this yes. session, uh, he is not um, planning to, or he, his proposed, in his proposed budget, uh, there is no uh, fund or no general money, improvement fund. no money yeah, uh, appropriated to the general improvement fund, which is what we're talking about. And it's unlikely that any money will be appropriated as a result. And the money for that fund, it just comes from the surplus money that's divided up at a certain point at the end of each budget. And part of that is there's not as much surplus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, that's... Yeah. And there are other things like highways and, and things that a lot of the surplus money, I think, is being directed to. So uh, we'll try to take a closer look at that next week and talk to some people about the history of the General Improvement Fund. Yeah. Um, moving from the State House to the U.S. Congress, uh, the state, uh, state legislature will convene next week, but the U.S. Congress did convene this week in advance of President-elect Donald Trump's inauguration. Let's uh, set the scene with some sights, with some uh, sounds rather, from the U.S. Capitol. Mr. Bozeman, Mr. Brown, Mr. Burr, Mr. Cotton. Roll call, U.S. Senate. <laughs> Here we go. Let's go to the Hill. House. Ryan Westerman. Ryan Womack. Ryan. Uh, that was every member of the U.S. or of Arkansas's U.S. House members. Uh, voting for Paul Ryan to be Speaker of the House. No surprise. And no, they don't call everyone in Arkansas's names in a row. I just edited their names together. <laughs> if anyone's wondering, it's alphabetical. <laughs> so U.S. Congress convened, and they started it with kind of a, well, I guess it's been kind of, it's kind of universally hailed. It was a very boneheaded move from the Republican Party. Uh, m Monday night before the Tuesday where Congress officially convened, behind closed door, the GOP caucus voted in a very split vote to gut the Office of Congressional Ethics, which is an independent agency that oversees ethics investigations for the U.S. House. Representative Rick Crawford in Jonesboro, Steve Womack in Northwest Arkansas, French Hill here in Central Arkansas, said they all opposed that measure from the outset. Uh, oh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. On Tuesday, the Republicans ultimately decided not to pursue that idea to gut the office, the, the, office, the ethics office. Donald Trump tweeted that it was a stupid idea, basically. So we have three of our four U.S. House members who said they're opposed to it. But Bruce Westerman from the 4th District, much of South and West Arkansas, said he supported it. Uh, this is the only statement we could get from him. is from Talk Business, our content partners. And he said afterward, the amendment in question was removed from the rules package today, and the congressman looks forward to tackling the issues that concern residents of the 4th District. So he didn't really address why he supported gutting it. French Hill, though, while he opposed gutting it, he did say that the Office of Ethics is flawed and poorly designed and needs to be reformed to protect members' constitutional rights. So he thinks there's room to change it, but uh, probably not on day day one. Yeah. It doesn't look good. And there's a lot of public outrage about this. I mean, you mentioned the tweet by Donald Trump, but I think a lot of people over social media, a lot of people are making calls, writing to their congressional offices uh, to try to get this uh thing overturned. And, you know, I imagine a lot of those responses are probably uh, sensitive to um, those public's concerns. And there's all sorts of specifics, I guess, about the merits of this ethics oversight body versus others that do exist. And it's not the only ethics oversight in the House. 
But it just it looks bad to say we want to dismantle the Office of Ethics. Yeah. But it was created recently, though, in the rec- by Democrats in the wake of the Jack Abramoff scandal, the lobbyist. Mm. So, okay, so that's the U.S. Congress convening. Uh, now that they're convened, they have some business to do. Let's jump straight to it. Um, there's a meeting of the Senate Armed Services Committee where our junior U.S. Senator Tom Cotton uh, is a member of that committee. He kind of he questioned the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, about the Russian hacking. He basically kind of agreed with their conclusion that the DNC and John Podesta were hacked. He made them clarify that, well, they didn't actually tamper with any ballots, so it's a different type of election manipulation than outright ballot theft. Mm-hmm. But he tried to suggest that we don't really know that Russia wanted Donald Trump to win as opposed to Hillary Clinton. Here's this exchange. Trump has proposed to increase our defense budget, to accelerate nuclear modernization, to accelerate ballistic missile defenses, and to expand and accelerate oil and gas production, which would obviously harm Russia's economy. Hillary Clinton opposed, or at least was not as enthusiastic about all those measures. Would each of those put the United States in a stronger strategic position against Russia? Anything we do to enhance our military capabilities, uh, we absolutely. There is some contrary evidence, despite what the media speculates, that perhaps Donald Trump is not the best candidate for Russia. So, you know, not a lot of people are suggesting that, I think. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I think um, there's going to be a more public report coming out very soon from national intelligence uh, agencies about this. And it's widely expected, or at least some people are expecting, that they might point to the, you know, that assumption that the uh, Russian government was indeed uh, intending to influence the election uh, for the election. For instance, it was only Democrats and Hillary Clinton's campaign information that was leaked. They didn't leak Donald Trump information. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, on the face of it there, it's (laughs) right. Uh, And it's worth noting, though, that Tom Cotton and Donald Trump are pretty much as opposed as they could be within the Republican Party on the idea of Russia, Tom Cotton has been a vocal opponent of all Russian aggression or incursions into other places uh, around the world, into Crimea, into Ukraine, into Syria. Tom Cotton is a big proponent of NATO. He's always talking about the danger Russia poses. While Donald Trump has encouraged the hacking, he encouraged that to happen. He wanted more of it to happen. Uh, he's definitely not condemned actions in Crimea or Syria. He's usually vaguely supportive of Vladimir Putin, who Tom Cotton is no, certainly no friend of. Right. And I, but just to, to throw some gray on it, I, I think uh, Tom Cotton has expressed the view that uh, members of NATO, uh, especially smaller countries, should pay more of a share into the, I guess, the total right. uh, funding for the, uh, the, the alliance. Uh, expressing a similar view, I think, that t- Donald Trump has um, expressed as well. But co- I think that's true. But also Cotton will say, we're protecting those countries not just for them, but it also for our own personal safety. So we're not just being charitable to them. It protects us to not have Russia invade the Baltic states or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, and Tom Cotton was seen at Trump Tower at one point, uh, was uh, rumored to be on the list of uh Defense secretary candidates, but of course, uh, they, Trump has picked his 
defense secretary and it is not Todd Cotton. I get, but I guess one thing to look for is, you know, this is the initial round into the Senate publicly kind of talking about these hackings when the intelligence community is presenting it. So we might see a lot more comments from him in the weeks ahead. He might play an important role. Maybe not. We'll just have to find out. Oh, and Tom Cotton, while he did question James Clapper and the intelligence officials in that, that initial meeting of the Senate Armed Services Committee, he kind of questioned the idea that Russia prefers Trump to Clinton, but he he has repeatedly said he trusts the intelligence community over something WikiLeaks said, over something on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He believes that their ac- their information is accurate from what I can tell, that there was that hacking directed by Russia. He just won't say. He's not confident about the intention behind it. Yeah, unlike Donald Trump, who's questioned the actual... Right, he, he questions the intelligence. If he receives the briefings at all, he questions them. Um, all right, moving gears from hacking to the internet. Chris, Facebook and the state of Arkansas have a new partnership. That's right. Uh, it was announced on Thursday to a packed auditorium at Central High School in Little Rock. Uh, some Facebook representatives, including... Um, the chief privacy officer of Facebook, Aaron Egan, came up and announced that they were going to deliver 500 virtual reality kits, including programming devices and other associated gear, to Arkansas high schools um, to assist with the state's computer coding initiative. And um, we got some demonstrations from the from the Facebook people about what virtual reality is and these headsets, Oculus Rift that they own. Have you, did you get to put one on or have you ever put one on before? I have not, actually. Okay. Have you? I have a friend that has Oculus Rift, actually, and it's amazing. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to get any educational value out of it because I didn't program anything I was watching, but it was really cool. Well, let's hear from Erin Egan. She's, a, a, as I said, the chief privacy officer and vice president at Facebook um, in their policy division. Here she is. She appeared, the she appeared in reality to the crowd. Yes. In full, yes, form, <laughs> physical. Our goal here is we want you all to be coding in the next generation of technology. We want you to understand. We want you to be excited about virtual reality. We want you to learn how to code in it, but also create content. The first time I tried virtual reality, I put on one of these headsets and I was brought to a refugee camp in Syria where I saw the daily life of a 12-year-old girl, Sidra. And Sidra showed us what she was eating, she showed us where she slept, she showed us her walk to school, and it was an experience like none other. For the first time, I was able to really get a sense, a little sense of what it's like, perhaps, to live in a refugee camp. Just think about where you all live. Think about this high school and the history here. Think about the kind of content that you can create here. You can show people your school. You can show people your community. We can take tours of really historic places. That's the kind of content that you all can bring to the world. You can show the world what Little Rock, what Arkansas is all about. Think about how many times those kids at Central have been told, think of your history at the school. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of a tired right, subject at going. this point. But I guess they're, they're, yeah, what she's trying to get across is there's some educational benefit yeah. to virtual reality, not just uh, the programming of it, but actually the uh, experience of it and using it. But uh, to get back to this uh, partnership, it's uh, supposedly the first in the nation, um, first state Arkansas is to uh, receive this 
kind of donation valued at around $1 million. Um, Following up a first-in-the-nation program with Microsoft to help train computer science teachers and hold workshops a couple weeks ago from the governor. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, you know, the uh, Asa Hutchinson, he's been, you know, pretty big on uh, computer coding, computer science in high schools. Uh, of course, there's a law passed that would require our last session to require a computer science class in every high school in the, uh, the state. Many of them virtual. Yeah, that's true. Um, but part of this Facebook partnership is they're going to train the teachers to, you know, uh, in how to code these virtual reality devices. Um, they're going to it's going to go. These devices are going to go to about 250 schools, which is about. Uh, and here's two, the two governor one. talking about kind of how it's going to be distributed. Uh, the schools will be selected uh, through the Public School Resource Center uh, in partnership with the Department of Education and will focus on first uh, low-income schools, uh, rural schools, uh, provide sure they provide the opportunity. And, you know, some schools will need two devices because of the size. Uh, other schools will receive one device. Uh, we will probably cover about two-thirds of the schools in Arkansas, there's, so there's a small gap, but we hope to be able to supplement that as needed. Uh, but uh, this will cover the vast majority of high schools in Arkansas and they'll be chosen uh, based upon, uh, you know, their uh, starting with the lower uh, income, the low and reduced lunch, uh, high uh, majority schools. So there you have it. And later on, uh, the governor invited Mark Zuckerberg to visit, <laughs> which is a, which is <laughs> which he might actually do because uh, Zuckerberg apparently and his part of his 2017 New Year's resolution mm -hmm. is to visit 30 states that he hasn't been to this year. So he may we might I'm see sure we're on the list of have not been to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, and uh, Aaron Egan, who you heard from earlier, said, uh, yeah, he definitely would visit. Well, it's definitely the governor's uh, personal mission, and he's embraced it and owned it, that he's going to personally get all these tech companies to look at Arkansas in some type of way. And that's two, he's got two in a row now, the biggest companies on earth doing some kind of assistance or work in Arkansas schools, not building a factory, not opening a business necessarily, yeah. but uh, training talent. Yeah. So maybe in uh, 10 or 20 years, once this coding stuff has been in place for a generation, we'll be sitting here on this podcast that somehow someone will be listening to in virtual reality in the <laughs> studio with us as we do it. <laughs> and we'll be, we'll be talking about the issue of brain drain, maybe <laughs> trained talent leaving for California. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's always the issue. Is, are the, if that, once these people or once these kids are educated in computer science, are they going to stay around or, right. or leave? All right. Well, uh, for the hope of the for the sake of the governor's legacy, let's hope they stay around. Uh, so, okay. Well, this has been our week in review podcast. Next week will probably be uh, a lot busier and a lot longer with all the legislative stuff going on. Everyone's back for it's snowing right now on Friday. Everything's closed. Happy snow day to most of us. This has been KUAR's Week in Review podcast. Thanks a lot for listening. Uh, we are broadcasting out of KUAR 89.1. You can find us at KUAR.org. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts from. We're editorially independent of UALR and UAMS, though we are licensed by them and supported by them. Thanks for listening. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Chris Hickey. Bye.